does a great job picking songs that match the lesson format, and this morning is no exception to that. Grace for the Fallen. There's nothing more sobering to a person who is sincere in his desire to serve the Lord, who is committed in his walk with the Lord, a person who is genuine about his faith in the Lord. There's nothing more disturbing or more distressing than the stark realization that we have messed up spiritually. There's nothing more distressing or disturbing uh, to our inward peace than the frank acknowledgement of the fact that this is what God said, and yet this is what I did. And it's not just the fear of hell that disturbs us, though it should. It is that overwhelming sense of failure and and the disappointment that comes with that. And the discouragement. And the shame. And the pain of conscience. And the guilt that seemingly never ends. I'm telling you, in the Bible we read about those who experience their spiritual face plants And we read about more than one. And and one of the things that is remarkable to us is that as we read the biblical text, we come face to face with the reality that this is not just an aberration of the norm. The spiritual face plant was the norm. Somewhere along the way, everybody identifies With the spiritual face plan. It it started in the garden. It started in the very beginning. It started with a person you might say, well, you know, some of these people weren't that good. Let me tell you something about Adam. He was a good man. How do we know that? He was without sin. In Genesis chapter 2. Anybody want to raise their hand and claim to be him? Without sin. He was walking with God, he was talking with God, he was communing with God in the garden, in the cool of the day. That was the norm for him. God gave him one bit of instruction that we know about. One piece. Don't eat of that tree. Oh, you have 50 million other trees you can eat from. This one and this and that and that. And if you eat every day of your life a different tree... You'll never have to repeat, don't eat that one. And what did he do? The one thing. The one thing God told him not to do. He did it. He messed up. He messed up royally. Face first. In the dirt of life. And it had brought shame and reproach on himself. He brought about his own separation from God. He brought a curse into this world. A curse on the ground. A curse on the vegetation. He brought a curse to everything. It was a royal 
mess. Then there was Moses. God selected him of all the people of the world. Moses is being born to a poor slave woman down in Goshen. During a period of time when the king had issued an edict that said every male child should be put to death during the birth process. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Moses' parents saw that he was a goodly child, and they hid their child, not fearing the wrath of the king. And God said of Moses, this is my man. And the Holy Spirit said of Moses, be careful what you say about Moses. The Holy Spirit said of Moses, he was the meekest man in all the earth. Forty years of his life raised as the prince of Egypt. Forty years of his life in the wilderness of Midian. And the last forty years of his life, when he turned 80 years old, he was finally ready to do the job that God had called him to do. That gives me some hope this week. Moses was 80 before he was ready. And he spent the next 40 years of his life taking God's people out of Egypt and into the land that God had promised to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to all of their descendants. Moses was the one who was leading them into the promised land. And at the very end of all of that, Moses, in a moment of passion, in a moment of frustration, in a moment of mental, physical, emotional fatigue with the people of God, he struck the rock that God had told him to speak to, And he brought the attention to himself and what he was going to have to do for the people. And God said to him right then, You messed up, son. And you're not going. Seems impossible after all Moses had been through. 120 years seems impossible. He would have had his spiritual face plant in the mature years of his life, but he did. And then there was David, chosen by God to be king over all of Israel after Saul. He's reigning over the United Kingdom. He's been given everything that a king could possibly want. And God reminded him through the mouth of his prophet Nathan that if you had wanted more, I would have given you more. And David, in a moment of weakness, saw a woman and lusted after her and committed immorality with her and then had the great cover-up in session, and her husband was put to death, and David brought her to the palace, and it was a mess. Somebody said, well, you know, that's just how David was. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit said about David. He was a man after God's own heart.
And then there was Peter. What can you say about Peter? The Lord loved Peter. But wow. One of the things you can say about Peter is he was who he he was. What you saw is exactly who he is. No pretension. You remember, Peter was the one at Caesarea Philippi who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus praised him for that. And then Jesus said, and this is my mission. I must go to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the priests and be put to death. And Peter said, may it never be. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Then they go into the upper room that night. And Jesus takes a basin of water. He girds himself with a towel. He kneels down and begins to wash his own disciples' feet. One by one, and he comes to Peter. And Peter said, oh, no, no, sir, not me, Lord. You're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, I'll tell you right now, if I don't, you'll have no part of my kingdom. Peter said, just give me a bath. Then later that night, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and the disciples were troubled, seeing that he was troubled. And Jesus said, just like the scriptures have said, the shepherd is going to be smitten, and all of you, all of you, like sheep, are going to be scattered. And Peter spoke up, and he said, Lord, the rest of these guys may run. I'll tell you right now. If I have to die for you, I will never deny you. (laughs) And Jesus said, Peter, this very night, before the rooster will crow twice, you're going to deny me three times. Wow. Do you remember when Jesus was arrested? And he was taken to the high priest. And the people are gathering now, waiting to see what is going to be the fate of this self-proclaimed Messiah, Son of God. Peter has followed from far off. Kind of reminds you when people say, go get them, buddy. We're right behind you. Yeah, way behind. That's where Peter was, way behind. But he came. And standing around the fire with the unbelievers who are gathered there, 
Peter's standing there curious, waiting to see what's going to be the fate of the Lord. Not saying a word about who he was. Not saying a word on behalf of Jesus, but concerned about him. (laughs) And somebody says, hey, aren't you with him? And Peter said, no, no, I don't know him. A second time, someone said, for sure, you you were with him. And Peter said, I'm telling you, I don't know the guy. (laughs) The third time, for sure, you're one of them. You talk just like a Galilean. And Peter realizing He's been discovered. In a moment of panic and desperation, begins cursing and swearing, I do not even know this man. And the rooster begins to crow. And Jesus turned and looked at Peter. You want to tell me about the worst moment of your life? I can tell you without doubt what I believe to be Peter's worst moment. That was it. And now in John, the 21st chapter, Jesus, after the resurrection, has found the disciples fishing. He calls them to the shore. He is making breakfast for them. And then he has some things that he wants to say to them. He calls Peter to himself and he says to him, Simon, Son of John, Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? I don't know the antecedent of these. Was he talking about the fish, the nets, the boats, the way of life, these things? Because that was his life. Or when he said, do you love me more than these? Was he talking about the other apostles? Because you may remember On a Thursday night, in an upper room, Peter had very boastfully said, Hey, if all of the rest of these guys run away from you, you can count on me. Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. But then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, lovest thou me? And Peter said, Lord, 
You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. And then he said unto him, The third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this point, the heart of Peter broke. And for all the noise that is made about the Greek words for love that Jesus was using, agapeo, and he was replying with phileo, which was a very tender, affectionate word. And then finally Jesus came down to his word the third time and said phileo, I want to tell you, that's not what the text says. I want you to pay attention to the text. The text says, and Peter was grieved because, not because the Lord changed his Greek word. He was grieved because the Lord said to him, get this, the third time. Do you love me? I want to hear you say it, Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. That's one. Do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. That's two. Peter, do you love me? Oh, three times he's making him say that. You suppose that reminded Peter of anything? Three times. I'll tell you one thing, Lord. All the rest of these guys may deny you. I'll never deny you. Yes, Peter, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And Peter spoke to him exceeding vehemently and said, If I have to die for you, I won't deny you. Big boy. Big words. He denied him three times. And now, Jesus is confronting him. He's confronting him. This is painful. He is grieving when the Lord asks him the third time. I want to tell you something, folks. Genuine Christians feel the pain and the grief of betrayal. You don't have to inflict it on them. They feel it. When a sincere disciple has failed his Lord, he feels the pain of his betrayal. Two or three things I could say to you about that very quickly. Number one, that pain, that sorrow, that grief serves a purpose. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8-10, through 10, that that godly sorrow pushes you toward repentance. The Apostle Paul also said something very important in Philippians, the third chapter. He said, the things that are past are past, and the things that are behind me are behind me, and I press on 
toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And what I'm saying to you is there is a purpose and a place for the pain and the grieving and the sorrow. But there is a time to deal with it and then to move forward. To press on. It's a painful thing for a genuine Christian to have disappointed the Lord. Jesus said, I want to tell you something. I know all about spiritual brokenness, and I did not come to break the bruised reed. I came to bind it up and to heal it. And I'm saying to you, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in the churches of Galatia, He said, if you'll walk after the Spirit, you'll not get entangled in all the works of the flesh. But even if one of you is overtaken in a trespass, those of you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, meekness, humility, thinking about yourself, lest you also be tempted. When we go to someone who's trying to follow the Lord, don't be so anxious to get a pound of flesh and a pint of blood. A person with a sincere heart, even if he's experienced a spiritual face plant, is already under the whip of a conscience that is far more brutal than anything you're going to say. So why did Jesus bring this up? Why does Jesus force Peter to address I mean, Peter knew that Jesus loved him. And Peter knew that Jesus knew that Peter loved him. So why are they having this conversation? And I would tell you, if for no other reason, it is because Peter needs to know that Jesus knows. And he can forgive even that. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. You've got a place in the kingdom. Three times he made him say it. Oh, Peter, the situation, you don't have to tiptoe around this. Just say it, put it on the table. All things are naked and laid open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do, the writer of Hebrews said. He already knows. You need to know that he knows. And you need to know that when you find your cleansing in the blood of Christ, he can forgive even that.
And so the Apostle Paul would write, the one who had gone about trying to destroy Christianity and was guilty of the murder of Christians, the Apostle Paul would write, and he said, here's the amazing thing. Maybe somebody, perchance, would die for a good man. But here, here is what I cannot wrap my mind around, the Apostle Paul said. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And somebody says, well, what is the logic of that? And I remind you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, we do not come together as God's people and sing songs about amazing logic. We praise God for amazing grace. It's the only hope we have. And Jesus says to Peter three times, If you really love me, then brother, you love my sheep. And you take care of my sheep. You tend my sheep. You feed my sheep. You've seen, you've seen the little quip with the photo attached. Love me, love my dog. What Jesus had to say was far more serious than that. And he was saying to Peter, I know all about it. You messed up. Get up. Move forward now. And don't forget. Don't forget the grace that I have shown to you, and don't forget the grace that I want to show to my other sheep. Go and get them and tell them and feed them. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Ladies and gentlemen, when we stand before the Lord on that day, there is not a single one of us who are going through the gates because we deserve to go. And there's not a single one of us who will pass through those gates because we earned it. Or because we got everything right. For every one of us who passed through the gates... To the glory of the presence of the Lamb. It will be for one reason. And one reason only. We have been the recipients of something we never deserved. The amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, how is it possible you could turn your heart away from him as he offers you his love? If you've never confessed your faith 
in Jesus as the Son of God. If you have never united your soul with Him in baptism for the remission of your sins. If you have never committed your life to walk with Him. Hand in hand as friend with friend. Won't you do that this morning? And if you're a child of God. Who has fallen face first. And you need to come home. What a wonderful time to do that while we stand and sing.